You're listening to Playback, a Variety podcast. I'm your host, Variety Awards editor Chris Tapley. Franchises are tough, and particularly trilogies. Diminishing returns is the key danger, because when you return to the table to continue a story, you have the specter of previous success over your shoulder. Many trilogies collapse for this very reason. That rare breed is the trilogy that tops itself with every subsequent installment. Director Matt Reeves did that with Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, capitalizing on the franchise starter Rise of the Planet of the Apes with a darker, deeper dive, and he's done it again with War for the Planet of the Apes, not simply the best installment of this new iteration of Fox's famed property, but one of the very best films of the year full stop. Matt is here today to talk about that and a whole lot more. Matt Reeves, thanks for coming on the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me, man. That must feel good. That feels Pump really you good. Up. I, yeah, I, I, mean, like, I, I love like to get that. people Thank stoked you. before that we is, start talking. That is, that's awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, well, first of all, let's talk about that idea of uh, you know outrunning yourself. You know, when yeah. you, you've achieved success with the previous film, and you're kind of why do it if not to top yourself? Well, right? that was exactly it. I mean, we finished. First of all, I I came in at a fairly late place on, on Dawn. And I had a story that I wanted to tell. I didn't think they were going to let me do it. And so I didn't think I was going to do the movie. And they said, yeah, you can do it, but you have to do it on the schedule. Because they had already worked with Rupert on something that he really wanted to do for a year. But they couldn't come together on it. And so I assumed that they would just want me to do their story. And I didn't want to do their story. So amazingly, they let me do mine. And then um, it was like a, it was basically a sprint for two years. Like on these movies, two years sounds like a long time. But... It takes so much time, and especially the post is so intense that two years was crazy, especially since we didn't have a script to begin with. So we, we dove into that, and by the end of the process, I kind of felt like, wow, I'm just starting to really understand this thing, and now I feel like, and they asked me, they liked the movie very much, and they said, we'd love you to, to do the next one. And I was excited about it because I thought, well, now that I really understand this, I think we can take this further. And I felt like there wasn't, a, you know, Mark Bomback, who I wrote the script with, he was like, I don't know, man. We we did a really good job on that one. I don't know if we can top it. And I was like, if we can't top it, what are we doing? You know. Yeah. And um, you know, I hope people. I'm so glad you did. I hope people will think that we did. But I know that we tried to push into places. What I wanted it to be was different from the, from the previous. You know, all three films are actually very different. Yeah. And I wanted this one um, to push Caesar in places that he hadn't gone through gone to before. And I also wanted the story to be the first really full ape point of view story. I, mm-hmm. I really felt that the technology had reached a place where the artists at Weta were doing so such an amazing job at getting the performances from the actors and obviously from specifically from Andy that you really had a level of emotional identification which, you know, when I saw Rise and I saw Andy playing that character, I'd never had that level of emotional connection to a CG character and I thought that where they took it in Dawn you felt it even more, and I thought that we could really finally tell an entirely sort of point-of-view-driven, emotional story from his perspective, and the audience, hopefully after the first few minutes, would just be feeling like they're connecting to this actor who looks like an ape. Absolutely. I mean, that gets to my next point, which I remember with Dawn, uh, even for a movie that had scale and big battle elements, uh, it was still very intimate. I mean, I feel in, in just the action itself, I feel like everything maybe took place in a very small square mileage area. Yeah, that's know? very true. So uh, with this, with the third one, it almost seems like the temptation would be to go bigger. And so what? I was fascinated by the fact that, you know, you – not that you went smaller, but you went so so much more intimate. You, you bore down into these characters w- with the drama – 
just more than you might expect. You, you might expect the third one to just go balls go all, out, yeah. right? So, but I didn't see... Was I, that an instinct that you fought against, or was no, it... No, no, no. I really felt like I wanted to tell a war story that was really a war within the character, you know? <laughs> <laughs> this never happens. <laughs> Who's calling? It's... It's a publicist, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the guy with the phone that goes off. Um, mine's not on. Um, I wanted to tell a story that was not just a conflict between the characters, but specifically an eternal conflict. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to be a kind of a... I wanted to push the film this time into the realm of the mythic. I figured that if you look at what the trajectory of his story implies he would be like the seminal figure in ape history, right? And so it felt like we needed to come up with a test that was greater than all of the tests he'd gone through, because each story he's gone through a really dramatic sort of arc. But this one needed to push him into a place where emotionally he was challenged in a way that I think in the passing of the test, he either becomes the seminal figure of ape history, he becomes like an ape Moses, or um, he's going to be consumed and and sort of, uh, you know, die in a way that Koba dies. It's just completely um, obliterated by his rage. Mm-hmm. And so it felt like if you were going to do a war story, you could tell it in that way, that you could do a war story that was about the conflicts between the characters, but that as you saw this character whose greatest strength in the previous two films was his empathy, that to put him through a test that would challenge him in a way where he was in danger of losing mm-hmm. that empathy, and for a period of the film does lose empathy, it felt like that was pushing it um, in an interesting emotional way. And to take the audience, I like to tell stories from a very point of view based, mm-hmm. kind of uh, visually and emotionally, I want you to become the character that the film's about. And I thought it would be interesting in a war story to make it so intimate that and personal that as you go on that journey, you feel as he does. You you know, he he goes through, the, the, the apes are taking such losses that it becomes very personal, as you know, and he... Um, he ha- he's hell-bent on revenge, and I mm. want the audience to feel like that was the right thing so that you could then implicate the audience, like in kind of a Hitchcockian way, like in you yeah. know, dialing for murder, he turns you into the murderer, yeah. and you're thinking that's terrible. And then as you're going through the process, you're like, oh, Grace Kelly's getting away. I, 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 what's she going to do? What's he going to do? And, and by the end of that, you've, you suddenly go, wait, 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 I, I, just, I was just rooting for the killer to kill her why how does that happen and that to me is the exciting thing about cinema is this idea of creating identification and putting through an experience and then making that be provocative in a way and it seemed like there was a way through this character to do that yeah i mean absolutely applying those instincts to a movie like this to something that you know on its face might just be summer popcorn fare yeah just makes it more all the more compelling and we talked about this idea you're you're fascinated with faces in the film and close-ups and telling the story through such sure uh talk about that a little bit and and shooting with the alexa 65 in order to sure i mean the thing about it is this is the interesting thing is that like this is because it is a summer popcorn blockbuster movie each of those movies is based on some level of spectacle. Mm-hmm. And one of the great things about the spectacle in this film is the spectacle is emotional identification with photoreal apes, right? That's that's the odd, uncanny thing that people go to these movies to see. Now, they want to see action, and we have action, but really, it's the intimacy that stands out. That's strange. And that's it's been that way since, since Rise. You know, when you see Rise, you didn't expect by the end of the movie that it was going to be that ape's point of view, but you realize by the end it was his story. Mm-hmm. And so I felt that that has always been the strength. And what I felt would be the most engaging spectacle. And so, um, you know, we, we shot the movie on 65 with this idea 
that it would be a, a movie that would see them because because it was mythic, uh, sort of against the landscape. But the beautiful quality of this new system, the Alexa sixty five, is that it shoots. You know, it's it's like a medium format camera, right? So you you end up because of the larger film plane size, use these lenses. They actually these were literally. Uh, Hasselblad lenses that were adapted to go into this camera because it was so new, which are portraiture lenses. Mm-hmm. And so when you move in close, the, the same lenses that look incredible when they're wide and they're taking in the vista and the detail in the camera is amazing. It's a 6K camera. When you move in on the face, the focus becomes very shallow and it has this beautiful intimate quality. And I felt that it would be that juxtaposition of the of the landscape and then these faces and the eyes um, almost in a way that was like a Leone kind of thing like a mm-hmm. Sergio Leone thing I love those close up like Once Upon a Time the West is one of my favorite movies me too and it's just an incredible film and I just think that the those close ups in those movies first of all the way he stretches time it becomes so mm-hmm. It's just pure cinema. You know, you get the drawn into it. The scene of Once Upon a Time in the West. Amazing, with yeah, the with the weather vane and the whole... Yeah, 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 incredible. And and so that idea is about the pleasure of cinema. It's also about the emotion of cinema. And so for me, you know, at a time when I think movies can be getting very generic, and this is a genre picture, we're actually trying to use the genre in a way to tell something that that resonates in some Mm -hmm. way that has some kind of emotion and there was something about the idea of being able to use this new system and that level of intimacy and also to have moments of quiet like what I love about these movies is that there's much of the movie that's told like a silent movie Mm -hmm. and so it's just about behavior it's just about watching uh, the actors relate for me in these environments and then talking to Weta in a painstaking way to get that emotion that we found on the set into the faces of these apes and they're incredible artists at Weta so they, so they do that and, and the emotion you're seeing is the emotion like Andy Serkis like there's there's the scene that he has the last scene he has with Woody Harrelson mm-hmm. it's a wrenching scene I think for, for Caesar's character and Andy was incredible and I remember you know we had some of the people from Weta on the set and they were like wow we're going to really have to that's going to be a hard one mm-hmm. And but they did it I mean when you look at what they did and they spent a long time on it but getting the emotion one day what I really want to do is I want to do a side by side because I think that scene when you look at what Andy's doing and then you see what Caesar's doing it's kind of incredible and Mm -hmm. that was the thing on Rise that I did was I looked at all of the shots that were Andy and all of the shots that were Caesar just to prepare so I'd understand it and I didn't understand performance capture entirely at that point and the moment that I started going through it the mystery went away and Mm -hmm. I was like oh this is great this is just about you know I'd only done small films and it was the same thing. It was mm-hmm. about dealing with the actors. And what I realized is the reason I'd had that level of emotional identification is that there was an incredible actor behind it and that they were able to get a huge portion of his performance across. And what I said to them was, I think there's more. I think, you know, there are some places where, you know, he's enraged, but there's even a little bit more sadness than Caesar has. Mm-hmm. And, and I would, you know, what I would like us to do on these films is to dig as far as we can dig to get as much of that performance into the faces of these apes. Yeah, and that's about the emotion on the micro level, on the macro level. As I'm watching this movie, I'm like choked up the whole time. It seems like every 15 minutes there's just an emotionally complex and just uh, not explosive, but just a scene that really just makes you feel for what's happening. And certainly the Steve Zahn of it all. He's so adorable and so wonderful and such a treasure. It's a great use of him in this film. 
uh, I don't know if that's something you set out to do when you're writing a, a story to like have these emotional beats that kind of just keep you locked up the whole time. But it kind of felt so precise that I was like, Yeah, is this you know, the goal? that is the way we did write it. You know, it, it, it's the, I always the thing is is that the way. My, my filmography when people look at my stuff it's also kind of disparate but to me it's all very personal mm-hmm. and and I feel like my job is to have an emotional compass like I don't know where the camera goes or I don't know how to talk to an actor unless I feel a way about it and it's the same way when I'm writing and when Mark and I were writing we were beat for beat trying to go through for me what's an emotional journey like music is very rhythmic right it makes you feel something and I feel that, that cinema is the same way like even the, even the way you, you hold on a shot and if an actor is giving you something and you hold it just long enough and then you cut, it really makes you feel a certain way. And so I try to, in a, in a somewhat conscious but also really unconscious, intuitive level, try to feel my way through it. Like mm. We're kind of like on this search. And that search begins when we're writing. So it, it was definitely the intention. And it's cool that that played that way for you. I mean, that's, you know, I hope that that's the way it'll play for people. Also, and like I said to you, it's very personal. The uh, the father-son stuff just yeah. <laughs> throughout was, was crushing for me. So kudos on all of Thank that. Thank you. Uh, we, we just talked about kind of the evolution of the performance capture and working with Andy throughout. Uh, is this something that you would want to use again on another sure. project? Or does it feel specific to this? Well, and- it, it, it really, here's what's, what's great about it is that it feels like it's one more tool that I understand how to use. I yeah. feel like there's um, there's so much I've learned through the process, and I think that you know a lot of VFX, it's about what's not there. And what's great about this is, from a practical standpoint, it's about what is there, which are the actors. Mm-hmm. And so in that way, it's more intimate. It's more like traditional filmmaking. It's not, you know, a lot of CG filmmaking is um, people acting to marks and to tennis balls on C-stands, and they're not, there's nothing there for them to really respond to. And here, you're going to take these performers who are on the set with the actors who play the characters who, who aren't CG characters, and they're able to uh, connect and emote and, and, and really have an experience together, and that changes the way you react to it. So that as a tool is very exciting. I think if you look at it this way, what's interesting is this notion especially for actors, that they're not limited by their physical appearance, that, that, they, can, um, that they can express themselves in a very pure way, a, very, you know, a way that's almost like theater, mm-hmm. right? And, and we have all these cameras recording them, and then that performance can be translated to a character that doesn't look like them at all. So like when you look at what Andy's played, he's played, you know, he's played Gollum, he's played King Kong, he's played Caesar and... Baby Caesar. Baby Caesar, <laughs> yeah, he's, exactly. That's the other thing. Like he, play, he literally played this character through the entire arc yeah. of that character's life and that moment you know at the beginning that's him which is a crazy that's a crazy awesome. thing to be able to do so that I think is very exciting and it's definitely a tool that I would look back to I do have to say that at the end of this process of having done five years of these movies the idea of two actors in the space who actually are the actors that's very exciting mm-hmm. because the post is the hardest part of anything they've ever done because what you do is you take these shots that are of those actors in their mocap suits, you cut them together, and then you begin this process of trying to turn it into the movie that we just showed. And that, we were in post for over a year, mm-hmm. and that process, for me, what I like to do as a director is I like to sit there and be an audience, right? Mm-hmm. So that's when I say the emotional compass is like I'm reacting. Am I connecting? Is something happening that I'm being drawn to? And when you do it this way, there's you have to like get your brain to adjust so that you're blocking out 
a big part of what's in the frame that's not supposed to be in the frame. Then you're supposed to focus on just the thing that matters, which is the emotion, and then you're supposed to imagine the stuff that isn't there. It's a, that thing is, a, is an exhausting process because to, rema- to remain emotionally open to something that's there through a very narrow sliver of a keyhole yeah. and then follow that through so that you make sure that's the story you're telling for a year and a half like it's a it's a hard process. keeping it all up here too for that long has to be tough it's, i mean you your idea of the movie you don't want it to shift too much but you have to allow it to shift so it's like i can't imagine holding on to it in your head for like a whole i mean year the, and a half. the good thing about that is that if you can keep yourself open enough <clears throat> to the process, as you're getting into it, um, you can make subtle changes, mm-hmm. right? And that part's exciting because any on any other movie, that means you have to go back and do reshoots unless it's yeah. like you know a line over somebody's shoulder or something. And that part's really exciting. I mean, on Dawn, which, as I said, I, I came in so late that we were literally still writing at in the like weeks before we were done. Like we were almost done, and then I was like, this ending doesn't work. And I felt that it... Um, it was in the wrong location. It went too far emotionally into this movie instead of uh, really allowing Caesar to sort of end in this place where he could take in the impact of the fact that his family of apes were looking to him to mm-hmm. lead them through what was about to be a very dark moment and just feeling the weight of that on his shoulders. We had, like, the military already arriving, and it was this whole thing where they were on the Golden Gate Bridge, uh, the Golden Gate Bridge, and I was like, this doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And so I literally was able to, because of performance capture, call up Andy, who was in London, and say, can you go into your studio tomorrow, and I'll have a big screen on Skype, and we can redo the end. Mm. And we literally, this was about four weeks before I had to deliver the movie. So I, I talked through Andy, through what it was. He's walking down these steps. We played that whole beat. And then um, I chose the take that I liked, and I sent it to Weta, and then we began trying to figure out the cameras that would go on it, and four weeks later, we had a new ending to the movie. So that part is exciting. That part allows you to, as much as, as, much as you lose control in certain ways, there's ways that as you get deeper into post, you can tweak things in very subtle ways. The, the hard part is, so as you're cutting a scene, and then you're like, you know, six months down the line, you might be like, oh, you know what? We lost that scene. Now when we come into this scene, if I can just hold a little longer on this character and then, you know, and then maybe I do a little trim on, on the next shot, then I can make this moment work. In this movie, because the effects are literally frame by frame, I don't have any more frames. Mm-hmm. So if I look at it six months later and go, oh, I need 12 more frames on the head of this shot, I don't have it. Mm-hmm. So it, that part's unforgiving and very hard. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to talk about Woody Harrelson. We were talking a little bit at the top. I've gotten to know Woody the last few years. Yeah. Uh, love this guy. He's he, amazing. His work ethic is incredible. Yeah. Uh, he's crazy busy, and I feel like he's sort of quietly put together uh, – I don't want to call it like a comeback, but since The Messenger, he's he's put together like an enviable streak of yeah. projects. I mean, uh, even like the risks he's taken with like appearing in the Hunger Games movies or doing True Detective, which was, you know – unproven anthology territory sure. I mean he's just and done, he's amazing in that yeah and he, he directed a live movie I know <laughs> I know which was going on while we were in post I've, I, he's, I, you know it's interesting I was talking to you about it when we were in when we were doing press in London and it was like he's trying to figure out he goes now I guess I'm kind of a producer too I'm trying to figure out how do I get this movie out there because it was live and it's funny because I was talking to Steve who was able to see it Steve's on and he was like he went live on that night and he goes it's incredible man and he goes that wow. guy is a genius like it's just <laughs> he said just the experience of that but the thing is is that 
he, you know, what Woody's saying is part of the thing, though, is the audience seeing it. So mm-hmm. it's not like something that he goes, you know, for a while, I was thinking, oh, maybe you do something on iTunes or something like that. And he goes, I don't think it should just be that because I know part of the experience is seeing it in a group with people. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, he's, he's amazing. I mean, what was so exciting for me was, first of all, he loved these movies, so he was really excited about, about it. But I was excited because he was so smart. He, he came in and he was like, look, uh, let's talk about these scenes. And he had a lot of ideas. He's really, I mean, you could tell from all the stuff that he does in, that's comedic, he's incredibly quick-witted, right? He, can, he improvises, mm-hmm. he makes up, you know. But he is the same way, coming from that same place, no matter what he's doing, I think. At least that was my experience. And there were things he said that literally was like, okay, we're going to rewrite the scene. And he would have, he just had so many ideas. I mean, there's that moment where you come and he's talking about what happened, you know, in the story and how he um, he had this experience with his son in the in 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 the story in the backstory, and he's telling Caesar this. And we had that happen in the scene, but we didn't have the very moment that he describes. He goes, "I think I need that very moment where I I had to confront what I was going to do, you know, with my son." And I was like, "Oh, you want that moment?" He goes, "Yeah, yeah." I said, "Okay." And he there were just time after time like that. He would say little things like he goes, he goes, you know, when I walk in. He goes, it's really, you think about the world, it's just me and them. So -hmm. this is like Wellington and Napoleon, this whole Mm -hmm. thing. And I was like, I was like, Woody, that's, that's great, except he's an ape. So he has no idea of this human history. What are you talking (laughs) about? He goes, oh, that's easy. He goes, that's just, you know, I I don't, you're probably not much of a reader. And I was like, oh my God, you're a genius. So like that, that kind of stuff, he was just great. And what's great is he's my favorite kind of actor to work with in that he'll go on an exploration with you. He'll try yeah. stuff. And so we would we would change stuff and we would, you know, he would say, I feel like I gotta touch him in the scene or I gotta do this and I'd be like, let's do it. Let's mm-hmm. do it. And and you know, Andy's the same way. It was great to see them play off of each other because I think Woody, not knowing the system, thought he was gonna come in and act to a tennis ball and then he mm-hmm. realized, oh, I'm he loved Andy and they just connected in this way where they're now like incredible friends. Oh, so yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say I've I've seen Woody work on set a couple of times and uh, he does seem like the kind of guy who wants to give a couple of different looks, a couple of different For sure. know, options and uh more so than I was expecting out of out of somebody like him, you know. He's just really does seem to be uh willing to go wheeling with it. Yeah, just, he 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 explores and he's also really open. Like he likes he likes to try stuff. Like something mm-hmm. he goes, "Oh, I like that." You know, he would yeah. say that kind of thing. I'm like, "Wow, this is so it was really uh it was a great experience to work with him. I loved it." Now, uh I don't know if you've spoken to this at all uh and no spoilers about the movie, but it certainly does seem to be the end of your road on the movie. Would you come back for more on this franchise? Sure. I doubt Fox is done with it. Uh <laughs> sure. I mean, I could imagine Look, part of the thing that we were doing with Bad Ape was to imply that there are other apes out there. I do love this world. I have a lot of affection for these characters. I spent five years, you know, feeling like they were my family. So, you know, the right story and the right circumstance, I would definitely come back in some, you know, in some way. Um, You know, obviously my immediate, uh, you know, my immediate situation is that there's another thing that I'm signed on to do, which I'm excited about. And it's going to be exciting to do something different, you know, after five years of doing this. But I love this world. Mm-hmm. And um, I could absolutely imagine myself uh, continuing to be involved, and I love it. Well, since you brought it up. Yes. Uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, obviously these, the shroud of secrecy around these movies. But you're going into the DC universe with yep. Batman, yes, which is no secret. Uh, I just wanted to talk about your thoughts on the character like were you a fan of the character growing up oh yeah you know? yeah yeah I was 
in the same, I mean, I was a huge Planet of the Apes fan when I was a kid. I had all the dolls, and I was a huge Batman fan. And mm-hmm. I had actually the same. There were these dolls when I was a kid by Mego, and they oh, yeah. were they were. I had the Batman and Robin, mm-hmm. and I had all the Planet of the Apes and the Star Trek. Um, and um, he, yeah, I mean, he really. I was captivated by by him and and him as a character, and just I had all the toys. I had the. Batmobile from I don't know if it was Dinky or Corgi, but this amazing <laughs> old cars and that kind of stuff. And I think, I think what's interesting to me is that you know right now Hollywood is making a very narrow band of movies. Right, everything mm-hmm. is about a franchise, about a pre-existing property. And I never would have imagined myself being a genre filmmaker, even mm-hmm. um, even though I loved all of that as a kid and I I love those movies. It's just I, I want I always felt like I wanted to find a way to, to express myself personally in some sort of way. Like Martin Scorsese was like the filmmaker who made me want to be a director. And but it was through Scorsese that I discovered Hitchcock mm-hmm. and the way that his genre filmmaking was incredibly personal though Scorsese he was making like a skeleton key. Yeah, like, he's amazing. <laughs> isn't he like you see you find all you find all these paths to all these mm-hmm. incredible sort of references and filmmakers that he's totally appropriated in a way to personalize them. Like mm-hmm. you look at this stuff that like Taxi Driver is a totally Hitchcockian film that's completely Scorsese. Like mm-hmm. you don't look at it and go like, oh, he's doing that's him doing you know his version of. You're going, oh, that's that's him expressing himself in that mode mm-hmm. in that very highly personal point of view driven mode. And so I I think one of the things that I discovered is that genre in today's landscape is one of the few places where you can actually do something that is personal. Like Mm -hmm. my connection to Planet of the Apes in this iteration had to do a lot with my son. Had Mm -hmm. to do a lot with my son. uh, You know, my my son was about just one and starting to speak when I saw the movie. And he reminded me that we are animals, you know? And Mm -hmm. I found that aspect of the movie incredibly exciting like Andy Serkis reminded me of my son when he finally spoke and he said he goes no and his the intelligence is behind his eyes the whole time and you get the sense of as I got with my son that he almost since birth had been had really understood so much and wanted to say so much but couldn't say anything and Mm -hmm. I was like you know what I want to explore uh, this aspect of our nature I want to explore that war that goes on within us and so that was a really exciting thing and I think what I see in Batman that I find so interesting is that in a way he reminds me of Caesar in that he is a character with a really troubled past who is grappling within himself to try and find the 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 way to do the right thing in a really imperfect world mm-hmm. in a corrupt world and I find that that provides an opportunity again if you want to take that point of view storytelling and I could imagine the stories being like a noir you know like heavily point of view driven I mean the the originals um, were from the golden age were they were detective stories right Serials, he was like basically, yeah, yeah exactly and I think that if you can marry that with the personal that there's a chance to do something very exciting so again I see an opportunity to do something uh, that might be hard to do in another way in the studio system and if you're going to make a movie in the studio system I find that this kind of filmmaking can be very exciting yeah the really cool thing to me about comic book movies is you know you've got like 50 to 100 years of story arcs that you can yeah. pull from like you don't have to do one, one arc and say we're going to do that story sure like you look at just for instance you know Batman Begins is like a little bit of year one a little bit of uh, Dennis O'Neill mo- uh, story called The Man Who Falls right Dark Knight has like Long Halloween and a sure. little bit of uh, Killing Joe yep and, Dark Knight Rises has uh, Nightfall and No Man's Land. So just, you can pull from all yeah, these different things. Absolutely. So uh, I don't know how far along you are on Cracking Story or if you could even speak to it if you if you were. But let me ask this. <laughs> I'll stay up here. With yeah, you. okay. Do you have favorite Batman story arcs? 
Sure. Yeah, I do. But I, I, I think, uh, well, also, I wouldn't want to get into that now, because if I do, then it'd be speculation that we'd be doing that story. <laughs> sure. But I can tell you this, that, you know, we are looking to all of those, and I'm also looking to um, other ways that it feels personal. Like, to me, like I said, the thing that's interesting is the ways in which you can connect to these stories, but it's what the what the genre is a cover for, how it relates to the world that we're in. Um, and so I think... You know, I'm going to draw inspiration from those stories, but I want it to be something that's rooted in something that feels uh, not only personal to me, but relevant yeah. you know, to the time. So, um, but I can tell you this, it's literally the nascent stages. We're just, just yeah, starting. Yeah. So, so um, you know, this, this movie is so intensive, especially the post, that literally, until you just saw it the other night, I was working until midnight every night to finish yeah. it. So. Well, I've read your uh, the, the well-circulated comments about the noir-driven thing and the, detec- oh, cool, the yeah. detective of it all, and that, that's very exciting. So I'm very much looking forward to the movie. The only, I guess, uh, tough question I might have for okay. you regarding this. Yeah. Uh, you know, there were the reports that negotiations broke down at some point. You guys came back to the table, obviously, and made a deal. What, what that leaves me curious about is how confident you feel like you can go in there and do the story you want to do at DC. I certainly hope so. I mean, they – you know, let's put it this way. They – I've never worked with them, but my experience with them so far has been really good. And I, as I describe what I want to do, they seem really excited. So, you know, it's the beginning of a journey. I, I never thought that I could make, you know, when I when I came in to do Apes, I had no idea what, I'd never done a studio film like that before. Even Cloverfield, though it came out through Paramount, was not really a studio film. We, we you know, the Bad Robot had final cuts, so we were able, it was like making an indie. Mm-hmm. And so they were, they were just really supportive and they released the movie, so it wasn't really a studio film. This, you know, ha- these two movies, I've gotten to make exactly the movie I wanted to make. So for all, whatever flaws are in there, it's because in so- some way we weren't able to achieve something. I didn't, I wasn't able to pull something off. We didn't have enough time or whatever it is. But it also is not something where I look back and go, oh, that damn studio compromise. So I think there's something about, there's a way in which you can work with the studios. I've never worked with anybody, with any studio other than, than Fox in this way. So it's going to be an exploration for me. I'm, I'm excited to see because I can say that thus far they seem really excited about it. And I suppose if we should ever come to an impasse, then, you know, we would have to resolve it one way or another. But I, I, I'm, I'm very hopeful and very positive about it. Well, I should think that the results you've gotten on these last couple of movies, you deserve carte blanche. Oh, well, so I okay, hope they you. give it to you. <laughs> in any case, go see the movie. It's War for the Planet of the Apes. It opens July 14th. And uh, Matt Reeves, thanks for coming on the show, Thank man. you. I really Great appreciate talking. it. Yeah, I appreciate it. I did not start this war. I offered you peace. I showed you mercy. This moment. 
irony is we created you. And nature has been punishing us ever since. This is our last stand. And if we lose, it will be a planet of apes.